If you are um, keeping track, what I am about to tell you is, I think, uh, number 1,058 on the list of things that I have told you about the many choices that I've made um, that uh, I'm not proud of and that you should not, um, that you should not copy. So let me pray and I'll share that with you. Father, thank you for who you are and your word and your truth. I thank you that you are a God who not only knows the beginning from the end, you know all the stuff in between as well. Now we're caught in the in-between right now. And in that in-between, uh, we are often confused. We are often uh, batted around and beaten around by the things that go on in life and the things that happen. And we really don't want it to be like that, but at the same time, we're very grateful that you have given us uh, feelings and that you have given us uh, emotions, uh, that you have given us a, a mind. I pray that you would now use that to um, teach us as you continue that process of working within us uh, to be more and more the people you want us to be. Open your word and open our lives, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, sir. Hit the next one there while you're working on this. Okay, so here we go. Our family was um, heading for Lewiston, Illinois. Lewiston, Illinois is a small town uh, that is about uh, slightly over an hour northwest of Springfield. Jenny's great aunt and uncle and cousin lived down there. Uh, and in nearby Canton, Illinois, most of you don't know where any of this is. Stan and Becky probably know maybe one or two of them. Uh, Lewiston is the Fulton County seat, and they do have a stoplight now. They didn't used to when we first started going there, but they do now. At any rate, we were heading down there. Uh, we used to go down there every year for Granny the Great's birthday. Jenny's great-grandmother's birthday was uh, right around Thanksgiving, so we would head down there for a long Thanksgiving weekend, spend that weekend down there uh, celebrating. What we would do is take either I-55 or I-57 down from Chicago, and then we would take US 136 across, uh, and it goes flat, straight from either one of those roads, uh, just, you know, east and west, just flat and straight, and you can see for miles. It's just a, a two-lane country road, and um, as we were going down there, um, I remember, uh, that, now remember, as I'm telling you this, that the right foot is the last thing to be sanctified. Okay, just, just remember that, you know. Uh, you know, sanctification is a process and the right foot drags behind down there. Now, on one trip down there, I was tooling down the Autobahn, also known as US 136, and um, there was no one in front of me. I can see for miles. So I was going, I remember this very clearly, I was going 63 in a 55. And I was, you know, it was just very nice, able to make up time. And as I could see way down the road, I could see two vehicles coming toward me. The first one was a pickup truck. I could tell that. And there was a full-size uh, car, sedan, uh, behind that. And as they approached, I noticed that the full-size car behind this pickup truck happened to be an Illinois State Trooper. Yeah, that's kind of how I went, too. You know, um, but when I saw that, I took my foot off the gas and I slowed down to 55 miles an hour. As soon as we passed, he pulled over, 
to the side of the road, flipped his lights on, turned around, and, you know, within probably two and a half heartbeats, it seemed like he was uh, right up there behind me, pulled me over. Now, I was hoping I wouldn't get a ticket. 63 isn't that bad. I figured, you know, it really wasn't going to be an issue, wasn't really going to be a problem. Uh, the officer came to my window, and he said, do you know how fast you were going? Well, still hoping I wouldn't get a ticket right there in front of my wife and my uh, three children. I said, no, which was a lie. I, I knew that I was going 63 in a 55. I, I knew that. He said to me, you were going, thanks God. He said to me, you were going 65 in a 55. And sure enough, I got a ticket for going uh, 10 miles over the posted limit. Now, this happened over 30 years ago. Uh, you know, but I, I remember the details of the incident because God burned this into my mind so I wouldn't forget. I lied. Intentionally and without hesitation, I lied. Right, you know, just right there in front of my wife and my children, I lied. Trying to get out of some trouble and of all the goofy things, you know, a, a speeding ticket. I lied. In front of my Savior, I lied. Now, my children didn't know I lied until now. Um, you know, Ginny probably knew that I lied because she knows me well and uh, knows how I think. Uh, but I knew I lied, and my Savior knew I lied. Now, we can say that the right foot is the last thing to be sanctified, you know, but my right foot is controlled by my mind, the choices that my mind makes. And, you know, my mind is where I made the choice, where I first made that choice to give my life to Jesus. And my mind is what I need him to transform and to sanctify for his use. Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Now, we don't really need to pray about some of these things, no, do we? Because we already know that some of these things, we already know what God's will is. God's will is not that I would lie. It's not that you would lie. That is not his will for us at all. But my mind is also the place where I made that choice to get away with something that I had done wrong, choosing to lie, which was simply another wrong Put on top of that first one. That was also the day that I chose to stop lying. Now I wasn't a big liar, you know. Don't, don't, you know. It, it's I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't even a regular liar, uh, you know. I hardly lied at all. But you see, I was a convenience liar. I lied, you know, what I, what I thought, you know, I thought it would be convenient. I didn't want to get a ticket, so it was convenient to lie you know now we fall into we fall into um foolish stupid thinking uh, we get into some areas and some situations and we and we think this is no big deal you know it's 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 no big deal it really doesn't matter uh, you know it, it, no one will get hurt 
It's not like I had a discussion as I was driving down that road saying, you know what, I'm going 63 to 55. I don't know that anybody else in the car knew. You know, I, 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 it, it's, it was, you know, and you think, so this is, you know, this is going to be no big deal. Nobody's even going to know sometimes is how we might begin thinking about things. You know, and we say, well, it, it doesn't matter. No one's going to get hurt, so it really doesn't matter. You know, and, or we tell ourselves that, you know, lying is the best solution. And, you know, the, these are all lies about lying. Do you realize that? All of these are lies about lying. None of this is, none of this is legit. None of this is biblical. None of this is, is true. Except for that's how we think. That's, that's, that's what's true about it. Just a few thoughts for you to consider. Psalm 15. Lord, who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The one who lives honestly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. Did you get that one? Acknowledges the truth in his heart. Jesus said it's out of the abundance of the heart, what? The mouth speaks. Whenever you're a little surprised about, well, where did that come from? Just a thought for you. Came from the heart. It came from that which is going. You know, whether it's whether whether it's you know your your thoughts of when when um, you know of, of what you're in the midst of, or when you you know stub your toe, um, uh, smash your finger, you pull over by a policeman. What it is that comes out of your mouth, you see, there, there's where it's starting. It's starting in your heart. And we need, that's what needs to be, to be cleaned up. We need to acknowledge the truth in his heart. Zechariah chapter 8. These are the things you must do. Speak truth to one another. Make true and sound decisions within your gaze. Did you catch that there? Speak truth. Make true and sound decisions. Within your gates and you, you know inside your house within you, wherever it is that you have, where you have that that that, that control, where you have that, you make you know, you speak the truth and you make sound decisions there. Ephesians chapter four. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into Him who is the head. Now you've already seen it there. Speaking the truth. I've shared this one with you before because notice what it says, speaking the truth in love. So when you're thinking about, you know, here we're just talking about generally speaking the truth. But when we're talking about speaking the truth to someone and, you know, you say, well, that's the truth. You know, that's the truth. And, you don't, we don't care if we beat them up verbally or not. It says speak the truth in love. If you can't do it in love, then, then you, you, get, you get yourself straightened out until you can do that. You get your heart right until you can do that. But he says to speak the truth. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, a little bit later, verse 25. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are all members of one another. There it is again. Put away lying. Speak the truth. What I had to admit was I was a liar. Yeah, that's what I had to admit. The excuses, and now we like to call them reasons. They're not reasons at all. Those excuses really didn't matter. God made clear I was a liar and I had to choose to stop. 
I was reminded of all of this as I was reading through Genesis chapter 20 recently. Turn there, if you will, if you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 15. See, these are easier to find. They're right near the front of the book. Um, Genesis chapter 20. And as I was reading through this, God was, God just, I mean, all of this stuff came roaring back into my mind, which is a good thing because, you see, we need to remember these things sometimes. So, you know, here it is, Genesis chapter 20. Two weeks ago, we looked at uh, Genesis chapter 16 where Abram and Sarai chose to take things into their own hands, to try to fulfill God's promise of, uh, of many descendants. And they had, they didn't have, Abram and Sarai didn't have a child yet. And so they were, you know, they were, um, didn't see how many descendants were going to come about. So we saw that their solution was, it really took them further from God. It didn't bring them closer uh, to Him. You know, their solution of, of, um, in, in, of, of bringing someone else into their marriage there, um, you know, we need to ask ourselves really where are we going and why are we doing what we're doing? You know, we can certainly have ideas. We need to take our ideas to God, though, and not just go blasting through with our ideas. We need to take them to God and follow his leading and everything and following God's plan. When we follow God's plan, when we, when we do that, his plan, his way, we will see his blessing. All of that was from back from chapter 16. Here in chapter 20, Abraham anticipates a confrontation with some uh, governing, ruling officials. Uh, so he chooses to take matters into his own hands once again here. Didn't follow God's plan. Uh, didn't even take his plan to God at all. Follow along. Chapter 20, verse 1. From there, Abraham traveled to the region of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. While he lived in Gerar, Abraham said about his wife, Sarah, she's my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, had Sarah brought to him. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, You're about to die because the woman, because of the woman that you have taken for yourself. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, would you destroy a nation even though it is innocent? Didn't he himself say to me, she's my sister? And she said, and she herself said, he is my brother. I did this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this with a clear conscience. I have also kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I have not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will certainly die and all who are yours. Early in the morning, Abimelech got up, called his servants together, and personally told them all these things, and the men were terrified. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How did I sin against you that you have brought such enormous guilt on me in my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. Abimelech also said to Abraham, What did you intend to, what did you intend when you did this thing? Abraham replied, I thought, and see here, so here come the excuses. I thought there's absolutely no fear of God in this place, so why would he bring any? Anyway, I thought there is absolutely no fear of God in this place. They will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So when God had me wander uh, from my father's house, I said to her, show your loyalty to me wherever we go and say about me, he is my brother. 
Then Abimelech took sheep, cattle, a male and female slaves, gave them to Abraham, returned his wife Sarah to him. Abimelech said, look, my land is before you. Settle wherever you want. And then uh, he said to Sarah, look, I'm giving your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a verification of your honor to all who are with you. You are fully vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so that they could bear children. For the Lord had completely closed all the wombs in Abimelech's household on account of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Now, what are the things you need to understand about Scripture? You know, is everything in there is not something for you to copy. Everything in there is true and accurate, including when God has, has his people record the sins and foolishness of his people. And this is one of those instances where we see where God had, had uh, Moses record the sins and the foolishness of his people. And here you have a time where a heathen king is more responsive to God than God's chosen person, than God's prophet. And you have a heathen king who is responding better. Abraham and Sarah were still waiting for God to give them the child he had promised. He had promised, you know, that she herself would have a child. That, you know, he's going to have descendants that would outnumber, you know, the stars in the sky. And he was going to have this. And they still didn't even have one child. They were still there, and they were still waiting on that. Now, waiting isn't easy. I mean, it isn't, particularly when you're waiting for something that you really want. Now, some of you have struggled to have children, and that's hard. It's heart-wrenching. Uh, you know, and, and you see others, you know, around you having kids, and, you know, I, I have prayed with some of you, and I have prayed for you, um, you know, while you waited and I continue to grieve with you, you know, over that. Even, even you know, while it seems everybody around you is having kids, um, it's a hard thing, and I understand that. Um, you know, so, you know, know that not only does God see your heart and know your heart, so, uh, so do some around you. Uh, you know, and for those of you who are able to have kids, do it. Anyway, just a thought, just a thought, you know, it's... We always like more kids. So two weeks ago, when we were looking at chapter 16, we saw Abraham and Sarai trying to fulfill God's promise by violating the sanctity of their marriage and and bringing Sarah's servant Hagar into their marriage bed. That's messed up, okay? We looked at that a couple weeks ago. You can listen online if you want to. That's, That's just messed up. It results in problems. It resulted in problems. You don't see anywhere in Scripture where uh, where a, a, a plural marriage situation ends with good stuff. It's always it always brings problems. It always brings issues in there. Here in chapter twenty, it's not the first time that Abraham and Sarah back then it was Abram and Sarai. It's not the first time that they lied about their relationship. Back in chapter 12 of Genesis, it says when he, that's Abram, when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, Look, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. They will kill me, but let you live. Please, say that you are my sister so that it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. (coughs) When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. Pharaoh's officials saw her and praised her to Pharaoh. So the woman was taken into Pharaoh's household. Now, don't just think that he was inviting her over for dinner. That wasn't the point. You know, he he was adding her to his harem. 
just as now later, you know, Abimelech was doing there, um, you know, and as a thank you here in, in chapter 12, uh, Pharaoh gives Abraham, gives Abram, you know, all sorts of flocks, herds, slaves, camels. He profits, you know, he profits from letting his wife be made available for sex with other men. Now, we have a word for that, and I, you know, and I tried to find a different word, and I couldn't find a different word. You know, the, you know, he, he, the, the way he was treating his wife was as, as a, a, a pimp overseas. It's prostitutes. He is putting her out there. Like this, and he he knows what's going to happen. This isn't this isn't rocket science, you know. This he he knew what was you know what was going on here, and he lets this go on because he lied. Fortunately, God struck Pharaoh and his household with severe plagues. Now I say fortunately because what he did is he was keeping Pharaoh from from sinning. And he was really preserving Abram and Sarai's, you know, line, bloodline here. And, you know, he, he struck them with severe plagues. They found out that Abram had lied to them about Sarai before uh, Pharaoh had sex with her. And uh, Pharaoh wasn't real happy about it. And he kicks them both, throws them out of Egypt. You know, go on, get out of here, buddy. Uh, you know, is what he did. Well, here in chapter 20, look at verse 2. Abraham lies again telling another king that Sarah is his wife. Because you see, once you start to lie, if you don't choose to repent and to stop, you know, if, if confessing, you know, come and confessing that sin and begin making different choices, if you, if you simply, you know, don't do something about that, lying, it just gets easier and easier to lie again. Lying just becomes very easy. It's, it's second nature almost. It comes right into play. And we lay out a lie quicker than we can even think about speaking the truth. Now, when you repent, when you repent, you agree with God in thought and in action. You know, it, it's, it's, a, you, you know, you turn from those sinful choices. You turn from those and you turn to those choices that actually honor God and, and bring honor to Him. You live differently uh, than you did when you were guided by sin. It is a choice that you are living differently than you did when you were guided by sin because now you're guided by God. And so you repent, you turn toward God, and it's that mind and it is that actions. You can't have one without the other. It's both of those things. It's both of those things. You know, God, you're right. I need to quit lying is exactly what I said there. And I needed to begin then living differently. I needed to begin applying it differently. Look at verse 5. Abraham lies and Sarah agrees to the lie. And, and, you know, she, it seems, lies as well. She said a thing. You see, your sin, your sin may influence others to sin. What does it hurt? What it hurts is you, your sin influences, often influences others to sin. 
You're laying out an example for them there, and it influences them. You know, they are still they're still responsible for their actions. You see, that's that's not a, it's not an excuse because I had a bad example is not an excuse. That's 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 not an excuse at all. You know, they are responsible. You are then also responsible for leading them into sin. Interesting, when Jesus is speaking in Matthew 18, he says, "Whoever causes the downfall of one of these little ones who believe in me, whoever causes their downfall, he says, it would be better for them if a heavy millstone were hung around their neck and they were." drown in the depths of the sea i don't know about you that doesn't sound pleasant to me whoever it is who causes that whoever it is that leads these others into sin he said they are going to bear some they are going to bear the consequences of that and god warns abimelech that he's about to sin by being intimate with another man's wife We're tempted to say that Abimelech is innocent. That's because we insert our own standard in. And we insert our own standard in there. So we say Abimelech, you know, Abimelech was innocent here. You know, it wasn't him at all. Or we say, well, that's not fair. Okay, most of you already know where I'm going with this one. You need to get this whole fair stuff out of your head you need according to what we think of fair life isn't fair get used to it fair has nothing to do with life if life were fair you would go to hell because it is not fair that jesus died on the cross for your sin and how we think about fair all the time. That is not fair that he died on the cross for your sins. So if life were fair, you want life to be fair, then you can go to, oh boy. Then you'll end up in hell. Because it's not fair that Jesus died. So get this whole fair thinking stuff out of your mind. My kids got tired of hearing it, you know, as they were growing up and they would tell me that's not fair. And I would tell them fair has nothing to do with life. And you need, to, you need to know that, you need to grasp a hold of it, you need to understand it. You know, usually when we say something's not fair, what we mean is we have a different standard in mind. That's what we mean. When we say that's not fair, we mean I, I have a different standard in mind. And I think, by the way, my standard is better than the standard that's happening here. And sometimes what we're doing is we're putting our standard up there and we're putting our standard ahead of God. We don't set the standards. God sets the standards. Now, did you notice here, though? God warned Abimelech. He said, you have sex with this woman, you are going to die. He warned her before it came about. He warned her. He warned him before it happened. He stopped him from doing that. And so Abimelech confronts Abraham the heathen king confronts the prophet of God. I just... What does Abraham do? Abraham tries to cover his lie instead of stopping to tell the truth. Look at verse 11. He said, I knew there was no fear of God in this place. It's your fault. It's not mine because I knew you people were heathens. I knew you people didn't care about God. So it's not really my fault. It's your fault that I did this. You, it's you. I knew there was no fear of God in this place. Oh, my gosh. 
Don't ever set your standards. Don't ever set your actions based on what the, what the world around you, what the situation you find yourself in the midst of is doing. Don't set your standards by that. Set your standards by what God says. Because God's not confused about what needs to be done. He is not wondering what needs to happen. He knows what needs, he knows how it needs to unfold. Don't set your standards by society and the world around you, which is exactly what Abraham did. I knew there was no fear of God in this place, so I needed to act accordingly. No, you need to act according to what God has to say. You know, and, and uh, you know, it, it's, it, it needs to, it needs to happen according to what God says. Verse 12, look at verse 12. This is the ick factor for us. It says she really is my sister. You know, this is, this is, you want to talk about that sometime, you know, talk about, I'll talk to you about it later. Uh, you know, but, the, you know, he's same, you know, same dad, not same mom and, and, and stuff. And he, you know, what, what he's, you know, what he's doing here, um, you know, you, you might be tempted to say what Abraham did here is tell the truth. Because we are so good at trying to excuse our sin. You know, we are so good at trying to excuse our sin. Here's the deal. When you tell the truth in order to deceive someone, you have lied. You have lied. But I told the truth. If you told the truth in order to deceive someone, you have lied. No, I didn't. I told the truth. No, you didn't. You deceived someone. You communicated a lie with true words. You can do that, and I probably don't have to ask you to think too hard before you can think of a time or two or 12 when you've done that. You speak the truth in order to deceive someone you have lied. That's exactly, that's exactly what Abraham is doing here. And what we actually do is we tell part of the truth sometimes with the full intent to give a false impression. With the full intent to get someone else to believe a lie. And we think we're fine because what we said is technically true. Let me remind you of one of the verses we looked at when we started this. Lord... Who can dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The one who lives honestly, practices righteousness, and acknowledges the truth in his heart. That we are guided and motivated by the truth, not by self-preservation, not by the technicalities to say and think that we're okay. When you tr- tell the truth in order to deceive someone, you have lied. Don't shade the truth in order to try to excuse your sin. You don't excuse it. All you do is compound the problem. You dig the hole deeper, you know, there, and, and, and don't do that. It seems all of this unfolded over a period of many months. I would, I, I, I think it possibly could be even a year or more. Now that's just a thought because if you look at verses 17 and 18, 
it was a long enough period of time there that they noticed that Abimelech's wife and his female slaves had stopped getting pregnant. It was, it was a long enough time where they noticed that, that they noticed that, gee, the, the, you know, the, 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 the baby train has stopped here. Your sin may affect others negatively. Uh, they stopped having kids because Abraham sinned. And his sin was affecting them and affecting them. You, you may never see all the effects that your sin has. You may not see those. And you may not see those right away. If we were to continue, you know, on through Genesis here, in chapter 21, Isaac is born. And after Isaac is born and Isaac raised up, you know, sometimes there's, there's years that go by between chapters sometimes. And, and this is part of what we have unfolding in, you know, in Genesis here. In chapter 21, Isaac is born. And it seems that maybe uh, Abraham may have stopped lying. Or did he? You know, did he continue? We're not specifically told, but the question comes to mind because of an event in chapter 26. In chapter 26, Isaac, that son that was born, settled in Gerar. When the men of that place asked about his wife, he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, my wife, thinking the men of this place will kill me. On account of Rebecca, for she is a beautiful woman. When I read that, I cannot help but wonder if Isaac was following the example he saw at home or heard about at home. Some of you have had really poor examples. Some of you have had lousy examples at home. Stop the cycle. Break that cycle of sin. Be the one. Be the one that doesn't follow that, continue to follow that bad example. Be the one that begins to follow God and live for God. Not the one who continues on with this. You, 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 it's an excuse when we say, well, that's the example that was before me. That's the way my dad was. That's the way my mom was. That's the way it was in our house. Stop it. If it goes against what God says, then bring it to a screeching halt in your life. And begin to live for him. And begin to follow God. <coughs> not the poor. Because you are not going to make excuses. Choose to stop. Choose that. Choose to stop lying. Choose to stop sin. Speak the truth. Live the truth. Choose to stop any and every sin that you have been excusing. And stop it now, not later. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the way that you really confronted me about this whole issue in my life. And your clarity and your word 
Uh, Father, it's not... Uh, it's not okay for us to lie. And there is no such thing as a little one. They all matter. Help us to speak the truth. Help us to live the truth. Jesus, you told us that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through you. Father, we want to come to you. Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. We want to come to you. We do not want to make a mockery out of what you've done. And when we continue in sin, that's exactly what we're doing, is making a mockery. We are mocking what you have done. It doesn't lessen your sacrifice. It lessens us as people. Guide us into all truth. Transform our minds. Transform our hearts. Father, some of my brothers and sisters here have, have, have struggled. They have had an example in their and in, in, as they were growing up, that just uh, really makes it more difficult for them now, Father. But you can take us beyond those difficulties. You can take us to that place where we can live for you. We need that. We need your help. Deliver us and help us to be those people who reflect, who reflect the, the life of the one to whom we say we've committed ours, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we ask this. Amen.